Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John Kaplan with my great friend, Johnny McMahon. Hey, Cap. I'm super excited to talk to our special guest today. Super uh, I am too. Let me get into this bio. We're just joking a little bit. I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing this gentleman for the last 30 years. Um, Kevin Warren is an executive vice president and chief marketing officer at UPS. In his role, he's responsible for U.S. and international marketing, the UPS store, digital channels, revenue enablement, business planning, forecasting and pricing, digital marketing, customer experience, brand relevancy, and the company's where to go subsidiary. Um, he's highly, uh, he, he, his highly developed perspective on data-centric business and non-traditional engagement uh, channels is driving change at UPS and setting new standards uh, in digitally enabled customer experience. Prior to UPS is where Kevin and I were slinging copiers and network <laughs> products in the early days of Xerox together. But Kevin just had a, a freak show, phenomenal career. He served as executive vice president and chief commercial officer for Xerox Corporation. He also led the integration activities surrounding Xerox's $1.5 billion purchase of global imaging systems. And he was also chairman, president, and chief executive officer of Xerox Canada and president of U.S. client operation. Kevin's also a board member at Fiserv, Georgetown University, and the UPS Foundation. I'd love to introduce the listeners to my great friend, Kevin Warren. Kevin, welcome, brother. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks, Captain. Uh, thanks, John, for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation, my friend. Yeah. So um, we were talking in the in the preamble here and I'm like looking at this bio and you and I started at Xerox at the same time together. And I think I should have uh, been paying more attention to where you were going with your career. Like, uh, but congratulations, brother, on an outstanding career. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we were we were certainly on the same journey, John, if you think about, you know, we go back to circa early 90s, and we both had to go outside of our comfort zone. Um, and that, you know, that industry was, was pivoting from the light lens copier to the whole digital space. And we didn't know anything about that, but we figured that if we went out to the, the training facility in Leesburg, Virginia, uh, if we were training all the sales and analyst people and some of the executives on it, I meant we had to know it. So we had to kind of teach ourselves and I know you moved your family and you were, you were all, if I recall, you were all packed up in your house, unpacked, I should say, in the first day and a half and we're yeah. ready to rock and roll. 
That's right. Um, but I, I think, you know, really kind of moving outside of our comfort zones and continuing to learn and to skate to where the puck was going, I think it's a, it's a theme that you and I have, uh, have had throughout our careers together. Yeah, buddy. We, I think we got really lucky with that assignment. Johnny, it was one of those ones where they pluck you out of the, pluck you out of the group and say, Hey, we got a, we've got a major change initiative and we wanted to take people inside the company. And if we can teach them how to do it and then they can teach others. So Johnny Mac, that's actually where I learned the skill of like sales presenting was in that assignment with Kevin back 30 years ago. But so Kevin sales and marketing, uh, the, the background that you have, you started in sales you're one of the best sales leaders I've ever met. Um, how did the background in sales really prepare you for the next generation for you to now be, you know, have such an incredible, uh, uh, powerful position as the CMO of UPS? Let's talk a little bit about the background in sales. Yeah, we'd we'll be happy to, John. And, and as you know, and your, your company is expert of this. Uh, the, the sales is, a lot of people think it's just art, but it's also some science in there as well, right? And so having that discipline uh, as a fundamental and really kind of understanding uh, how to engage with customers, um, really kind of understanding how to communicate a value proposition, uh, really kind of understanding the competitive landscape and how do you navigate through that? how to really uh, understand how to make money, uh, sell on value. You know, if I just kind of mention those sort of things and make a really good sales professional, you know, that's, that's marketing as well. And so, um, you know, really learned a lot of those skills uh, that really kind of translated, you know, to my marketing expertise um, and also gives me some, some empathy um, as to what our sales force really needs as far as support is concerned. So I thought it was a really good um, kind of um, fundamental uh, grounding that really kind of prepared me uh, to do marketing as well as general management things, P&L things as well. Because guess what? All these other functions, you don't need anybody counting the money if you don't have any money. So it's about bringing the <laughs> revenue in. Yeah. It starts with that. And then all other things are possible. Yeah. Well, Kevin, you, talk, you touched a little bit on uh, being – being comfortable when you're uncomfortable, right? And putting yourself in those scenarios. And I've read that you're always assessing your own current skill set and matching it against the skill set that you think you're going to need in the, in the future. So just as like a mentoring moment, can you share, especially for our younger listeners, why it's so important to constantly assess your personal skill set? Yeah. So um, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that, John. So look, I'll, I'll, you know, I like to talk in metaphors, so excuse that. Um, so, you know, Jay-Z is one of my favorite performers, and, you know, one of his lines is, uh, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. Yeah. And so if you think about what he's talking about in those lyrics, he's comparing his career projection, not as, you know, an employee or somebody does business, but a business in and of itself. Mm. Right. So if you see yourself as, you know, John Kaplan Incorporated or Kevin Warren Incorporated, 
Um, and as a company, well, what are you going to need, right? So you're going to need different functions. You, you know, finance, you got to financially, you got to be literate. Um, you know, you, marketing, you know, there has to be a certain kind of promotion um, of, your, of your product uh, or brand um, as you're kind of navigating your career. Uh, you're going to have to have a, a really good board of directors that you can trust, that know you can be truth tellers. Uh, but then also think about, think about, you know, product development and RD&E, research and development. And, you know, uh, the Apple iPhone came in and took over for BlackBerry um, back in circa 2008-ish or so. Yeah, right around that, seven or eight. Um, but then that's, they don't sell, still have that same iPhone 1. They're on the 13 Pro. So if you're not investing from a research and development, again, taking this corporation metaphor out, if you're the same old Kevin Warren of 2007, 2008, that's going to be a problem. So you really have to kind of invest, almost think of like your research and development. To, to make your product relevant because the industry is changing. That means your skill set's got to be changing. You've got to be changing faster. Um, and so the 2022 version of Kevin has to be better than the 2021. And it's the same sort of thing as far as looking at your, your skills and competencies and what you're bringing to the table. Um, you know, we, we, you know, John and I talked, Cap and I talked about, uh, early on that we knew that, you know, in our career, that, that industry was moving digital. We didn't have digital. We had to go get it. That's something you have to constantly be evaluating as to think about your portfolio of skills and what can you add and what can you improve um, and almost have an, an insatiable desire to improve uh, in those areas. That's, that's really outstanding uh, feedback, Kevin. And I remember you doing just a great job, like in the, in the role that we had, because it was so critical to Xerox and it was such a critical time, we were exposed to C-level executives. And, you know, I remember you having relationships with, I'm just looking here, like Barry Rand and Dave Garnett and, and it wasn't like you were lunching with these people or, or trying to be a pest to these people, but you sought them out and you got some great career advice and some leadership advice. What's some of the best leadership advice? So on that forming your brand and learning, can you kind of walk the listeners through a little bit? How do you do that? Engage with more experienced people in the company without being a pest, get people to invest back in you. How do you do it? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question. So you gave two examples. Uh, uh, a. Barry Rand, who was a fantastic executive uh, at Xerox and went on to be a CEO of a couple of organizations post-Xerox. Um, and then uh, Dave Garnett, um, fantastic uh, business leader as well. Um, Barry Rand, um, what he provided for me was really kind of the art of the possible. You know, I saw for the first time, I'm seeing this, this gentleman, you know, well-dressed, extremely charismatic, confident. He could go high level, but he also could bring it down. Uh, he wasn't afraid of a customer. As a matter of fact, he thrived because he, he actually started out as a sales rep. 
Mm-hmm. He started out from Washington, D.C., went to American University, grew up inside the company. I, and I'm looking at this guy. I was like, where, where the heck did they get this guy from? And I said, okay, he's from Washington, D.C. I'm from Washington, D.C. He went to American University. I went to Georgetown right down the street. He started in sales. I'm in sales. So just the whole possibility, the imagination. Um, now, I don't know if I could be as good as him, but at least the possibility and the imagination, he provided that. Then Dave Garnett came in um, later in my career um, and really kind of challenged the status quo. Um, and he really kind of drove this portfolio of skills conversation of really kind of going outside your comfort zone. And he and I had a mentor-mentee relationship. Now, this is the thing about, you know, mentoring. We'll, we'll talk about this more broadly. Um, you know, people say, okay, I want you to be my mentor or whatever. It's a relationship, right? There has to be a, just like any relationship has to be a connection, right? So that means, you know, you have to, and both sides have to bring something to the table. Uh, because then it's mutually beneficial and then it can last long. And then the other thing that worked well with Dave and I is he would run the play. He would call the play. I would run it. So he'd give advice and I'd actually take it. <laughs> um, and when that happens, that really motivates the, 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 the mentor to then continue to give to the mentee versus you kind of share some wisdom, um, whether it's, you know, he was good as far as giving books. You got to read the books he's going to give and then, and then apply it. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I learned a lot, and he and I still have a very uh, close connection to this day. And then over the years, there were some things I was able to kind of bring to him. Um, so, yeah, so, so the mentoring, uh, the role model, sponsorship, mentorship, all those are dynamics. Um, but you have to have a relationship. You ha- it has to be mutually uh, beneficial. You have to kind of work at it. You also have to be a person that's not only coachable like you were, but you have to, then the next step is, and the most difficult step for a lot of people is that some of them are coachable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do that. But then they never adapt. They never change. That's the really difficult thing. Cause to your point, again, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to throw yourself out there in order to gain these new skills. Absolutely. And, and the more you go outside your comfort zone, John, the more you grow. Totally. Yeah. Growing is it's mainly failing. Every mm-hmm. time you fail, you got mm-hmm. a great experience to look mm-hmm. back on and grow again. Right. Yep. So, Kevin, you had a unbelievable career at Xerox where in your case, it actually became your family. Like if I recall, Mm-hmm. Your your wife is a yep. is a, a a former Xerox employee, and um, I think I saw somewhere, if I recall, you got buddies that are that are God kids, Xerox buddies that are that are Godfathers to your mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. your to your children. Um, how do you get yourself in a position to like talk about getting out of your comfort zone? How do you leave after thirty four years, <laughs> dude? How do you do it? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I tell you, you know, John, that, that's right. You know, fantastic relationships. You know, Xerox was a company culture-wise. You know, I wasn't planning on being in that long. Uh, but, you know, people like you and uh, you write, you know, Godfather, my oldest son I worked for, 
uh, best man, my wedding year, uh, Debbie, my wife, uh, I met there and, and just some really, really special people um, that really I kind of connected. It was it was a good kind of connection, but I didn't stay just to stay. I was really intentional as to I had to make a decision and each several junctures as to whether I was going to stay or not. And every time I, you know, I kind of considered other options or other opportunities, something very attractive happened inside the company um, from a promotional standpoint, from an experience standpoint, um, that was a good decision for me. And then at a certain point, it got to a certain point where I, I became the chief uh, you know, commercial officer. It was really only one job over that, and that was the CEO role. Um, which was, you know, something I did have an ambition for at Xerox. Uh, thought I could help the company and was preparing for that. Um, but some things happened relative to the company um, from out, outside forces, I'll say, um, that I saw the company going in a direction that wasn't recognizable um, and consistent with the, the values and the model and the people of the company that we grew up in and, and, and loved. Um, so, you know, and so I, then I had a decision to make as it was time to move on. And, and that's all good because, you know, you should be thinking about, you know, growing as, as we talked about before. So then uh, it was a decision as to what the next move was going to be, whether I was going to, uh, you know, go an entrepreneurial route and go to a smaller company and, and do something there and try to run it or, um, was there a larger company option where I could play a pivotal role, uh, you know, really good platform uh, that was a good fit where I could make change? Um, and those were really the two options I was looking at. And thankfully, the UPS opportunity um, you know, came my way. And uh, it'll be four years in, in June um, that I came on board as their, their chief marketing officer. Hey, Johnny Mac, we almost you know? got him. We almost what? got him one time at PTC, buddy. I almost <laughs> got him. I almost got him. He, uh, he went he, through the interview true. process. True we story. loved him. We loved him. And Xerox said, uh-oh. And they what made happened? him the chairman of uh, Xerox Canada or something. I don't know what they did. Yeah. True story. Yeah, it's true Kevin, story. Kevin, how did you know that was the right decision, leaving Xerox after 34 years? Then you moved to some company called UPS. You're not only the first black man to get onto the executive team, but you're also the first outsider in 113 years to get into that basic, let's say, another family, maybe different from the Xerox family. So how did you feel like that was the right move for, for Kevin? Yeah. So, so, John, look, you know, correction, I wasn't the first black to be on the executive team. That, that was oh, actually one of that. Yeah, that was one of the attractions, you know, to UPS is they did have a diverse executive leadership team. Uh, now, I was the first outside hire of the industry okay, at the that's 110 years, ever. Ever, right, yeah. 113 ever. years I read. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and bro. then second from outside the company, there was a gentleman, you know, uh, they brought on six months ahead of me. He had worked at DHL and in Walmart, so at least he had industry experience. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, they were looking at me like, okay, this guy's talking differently. He's thinking differently. He's dressing differently. Where, where did we get this guy from? And, um, you know, I was, I was attracted, um, 
you know, look, I, I came from Xerox. At, at that time, uh, the industry was in secular decline. Now, you guys know people weren't copying and printing uh, the way they were, um, you know, years earlier. Mm. And so when you're working in, a, in an industry that's in decline, you know, that's, a, that's even tougher, right? You know, uh, it's all a conversion play if you want to grow. And, and so cost cutting, you know, it's not a, it's not a growth play. Yeah, that's not um, fun. So I was really looking for, you know, a couple of things. One is I was looking for an industry that was a growth industry. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, e-commerce fueling lo- logistics industry, you know, we're growing. The industry is growing. I was looking for a company that had a strong brand. I was looking for a company that had that valued its employees and then valued uh, the environment. Um. And I was looking for a company where I would, you know, look, I've done, I've lived in a lot of cold places. I'll put it that way. And uh, by the way, I know John being from Michigan, he hasn't lived in Michigan recently over the last. Since I was 18. (laughs) (laughs) So, so look, you know, the, 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 the two tours of Rochester, they, it was great for the family and, you know, the two and a half years in Toronto, love the city. Uh, but I was looking for something, you know, uh, you know, it was, I thought it was an intelligence test. At least I need to try out a place that was warmer. Uh, <laughs> but it was also, you know, cosmopolitan and, and, and brought a lot of things. So, you know, being headquartered in Atlanta for UPS. So UPS checked a lot of the boxes. Um, and I thought also I could make a difference. Uh, so that was really the, uh, the attraction. So, Kevin, you were actually, uh, this is really amazing when I think about you. So, you go to a place that's a hundred and I don't know, 110 years by the time you got there, 110 years old. Um, it's got a diverse executive team, but that wasn't the challenge. The minorities were, were you were still going to be a minority by going into an environment where you were a minority because you were from the outside. Tell me the story about the Skevin. I read that somewhere. There's two, you and the other dude started calling each other Skevin. Tell me about that. Yeah. So look, this is again, true story here. Um, And this is a great story about diversity and inclusion, but doesn't often get told. Uh, You know, most people look at it exclusively from an ethnicity standpoint or a gender standpoint or LGBTQ standpoint, et cetera, which are all, you know, very valid ways to be looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. But in this particular case, I mentioned I was the second outsider, first from outside the industry. The gentleman who came in from DHL and Walmart, his name was Scott. He came in six months earlier and he came in uh, to lead transformation for UPS. I came in to really kind of change the marketing and really kind of up the commercial excellence of marketing. Um, and he was a white gentleman. I'm, I'm black. And as I mentioned, you know, there was a, there was another black executive uh, who was running the, uh, the U S operations. His name was George. Well, I never got called George and George never got called Kevin, but I can't check from every C suite member in the company was calling Scott, Kevin, and Kevin Scott, because they didn't see black or white. They saw inside and outside, and they just said, okay, these are the outside guys again. So we finally said, okay, this is called a Skevin. 
<laughs> because it, there was, you know, that, that's the way they kind of viewed it. Oh, the, okay, that's another outsider. We kind of got, got them confused. And, and if you think about, uh, you know, change uh, and openness uh, to change, it can manifest this way um, in a lot of different areas, not just ethnicity and gender. But also you coming in as an outsider, there's some pros and cons there. The cons are you don't really know the industry so well coming from Xerox. The pros are you're coming in with a different set of eyes. You're looking at it like, well, why do you guys do things this way? Could it be done a different way? Can you walk a little, and maybe even your skill set needs to change too. So there's a lot of dynamics in your first year, I'm sure, that you had to assess personally and also, maybe, you know, was the business acceptable to your, you know, different lens in which you look through through the business? So, yeah, that was, that's a really in, insightful question and observation. You've, I think you kind of, you kind of know the answer. It was hard. Yeah. Um, it was one of the hardest, you know, biggest challenges I've had in my career. Um, you know, intellectually, you know, the board knew um, that we needed to kind of bring in some some skill sets to complement the outstanding talent we had already inside the company. And, uh, and UPS in particular, very strong in industrial engineers and, and operators. Uh, marketing wasn't a function that was uh, traditionally, I would say, valued. Um, and so kind of coming in, um, yeah, I had some, you know, I had some ideas and I had a, a different way of kind of communicating, um, but it involved changing things. And there was, I mean, you got a hundred, I mean, think about this. It was a hundred ten year old company, now 115. I mean, so it's been around for a long time. Um, you know, storied brand, global company, operates in 220 countries and territories, um, back then had like 495,000 employees. Now it's up to 540. I mean, so they've been successful for, you know, UPS have been successful for a long time doing things a certain way. Uh, now you got a guy coming in from the, uh, you know, the, the printing industry. Uh, and first of all, I had to, I had to learn the industry and that was hard. Sure. I mean, you know, it's, you know, the, you know, the executives I was with, they, they'd all grown up. Most of them, uh, at the sea level had started as package car drivers and matriculated up and been there 30, 40 years. I'm coming in. They're talking in acronyms. Um, you know, they're, they've got relationships with one another. Uh, they know kind of the, you know, the, the business model. Um, I had to learn all of that. And then, you know, the scale of a company, you know, that, that, that company, when I came on board, um, was probably eight to nine times the size easily of Xerox. Mm. Wow. Um, so, so there was a learning curve. Um, and this was, you know, it was a complex learning curve that I had to go through um, that maybe I didn't quite understand um, or maybe the company uh, understood. And at the same time, you're right, looking at fresh eyes, there were some things it took me about a minute and a half to figure out. Um, that we could change to make a, a, a big difference. So it was almost really a race, if you will. I don't think I've ever articulated like this, you know, the way you asked the question there, John. 
of me kind of gaining internal credibility and learning the industry and the company at a depth level deep enough so then I could leverage my commercial knowledge and seeing things from fresh eyes to get the benefit of that different experience. Right. Otherwise, those clients had to incredible. They, they had they had to cross. Right. And in those early days, you know, I could see it, um, but I couldn't. You know, it, it it took me it took me some time uh, to to make an impact. And then also, there's a relationship aspect mm. too. The folks they knew each other. You know, we talked about all the John. I felt sorry for the outsiders that came into Xerox after I came. I'm like, man, did I treat them the way they treat me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, so, look, they 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 had they had relationships and and met spouses and God, you know, and I didn't know any of that, right? So uh, so yeah, it was it was very challenging. Now, um, but I did see that there was, it took me about, I said, maybe a minute and a half to, to find out a couple of things. So I'll, I'll just mention them. So when I got here, one of the things I found was from a business model standpoint, the profit ground of the industry is really doing business with small and medium-sized businesses. Mm. Those are the businesses the value the network expertise that UPS brings and they need our help and they will pay for it. Yes. All right. Meanwhile, the large customers, you know, they're, they're more sophisticated and they've got pricing people that they can try to kind of game the system. Um, and they've got a lot of volume. They will leverage that volume uh, to get the absolute lowest price. Um, and so the emphasis was really on the large, sexy businesses we weren't making any money on. Mm. Maybe a slight exaggeration, but not, not too great. And meanwhile, we were losing share every year in the small to medium segment, which is where all the money is made. Yeah. And so it, it took me, I was actually looking at my notes, you know, within the first week, you know, initial observations kind of right now, I'm like, hey, this needs to be a pivot. And so, you know, I was able to, it took me a, a few times, but we were able to make um, small and medium-sized business SMB a strategic imperative of the company from a strategy standpoint. We, we announced it three, two months later. I came on board in June. We announced it to the, uh, the share of the, uh, the board of directors in August. We had an investor conference in September. We told the world we were going to uh, double down on that. And then that following February, I had to roll out what the game plan was going to be as to how we were going to grow in this segment that we had been losing share like for nine or 10 years in a row. Hmm. Um, and we had a, you know, we had a, you know, we had a very tight, you know, game plan and, and our, as high levels, ones we needed to kind of improve our competitiveness. We were slower than our, our biggest competitor. They were poking us in the eye. Uh, every chance they got about their speed advantage and calling us out. Right. Um, you know, we didn't have a strong weekend proposition they did they would they would poke so we need to kind of close the gap to allow our salespeople to be uh more competitive when they're out selling right to level right. the playing field and then secondly uh our brand right they they viewed us as why well, we can trust ups and you guys reliable have integrity love the driver you guys are kind of old and stodgy mm. you know and you've been quiet 
and we don't see you as an agile or innovative or, or cool or dynamic or digital, we need to fix that. And then thirdly, um, you know, so, and then we also needed, it wasn't about how we sold. We had to meet these customers where they were. So it's really about how they bought and where they bought. And that meant we need to have multiple routes to market to meet those customers where they were doing business. And more and more small and medium-sized businesses, they were doing business digitally yes. on platforms, Yes, which is not a direct sales play. Direct sales play and solutions, as you guys know, for large customers that have sophisticated needs, these small profitable customers, they were doing business digitally. Um, and then finally, we had to improve the customer experience. So we laid out the plan, uh, that meant we had to have some funding. I had to kind of fight for that. Uh, we had a new CEO came in who kind of saw what the opportunity was and accelerated it. And the nice thing, this will be my final point on this. Uh, the nice thing is that from, from 2019 to 20, uh, the end of 2021, I had an opportunity to share with our board of directors. We had an eight-point deficit in share in 2019 in this most profitable segment. At the end of 2021, we had a three and a half point lead. Unbelievable. Awesome. Um, and as a, as a consequence, as a contributor, the, the price of stock more than doubled. Um, mm. The margins improved because you had a richer mix. Naturally. So hey, it me, was hard, but, you know, really fulfilling. Let me summarize, Johnny. Yeah. This is like Good, we talk. I, I got a couple follow-ons. To yeah, man. I wanna, I, I've been dying to just summarize the one thing that Kevin said, because I know how hard this was. And he, he just he talked about it. But I want to make sure the listeners hear this. What I heard you say is this convergence between showing your experience and why the heck they hired you but you had to learn a 110-year-old business. Some, some of the best advice I ever got one time was from somebody that told me, hey, John, be the same before you're different. They didn't tell me not to be different, but they said, in your difference, you got to make it relative to our sameness. And I find that some people come in from the outside and they just try to blow through that. They don't respect the culture. They don't respect the history. They don't respect the relationships and they, it's like me going into Germany back in the day. And if I didn't try to use the language and if I just walked into one dude walked into a Marriott one time, Kevin, and said, can, can you get me somebody that can speak American? He actually said American <laughs> versus English. And I'm like, oh my God. And nobody wanted to help this dude. They couldn't care less whether he got a room or. So I heard you say that, like the importance of, be the same. Learn what they know and what they do because your experience will be so much more powerful. They'll be ready to hear your experience. And now, Johnny, I think I want to go where you went on. That's a major pivot for SMB. I want to get into the details, Johnny, about how do you go? Now you know your difference. You're going to make a major pivot. How do you get the groundswell? How do you build the champions? You had to go get funding and, and, you know, now you got to put your, you know, put the money where the mouth is. Like, how did you build that? How'd you get the company to kind of follow you in that direction? Is that fair, Johnny? Is that a good top level one? And then we'll go from there. Sure. Sure. I just, uh, the only comment is that I think, you know, Kevin 
you know, we, we asked about how he might have used some of his sales, previous sales experience. Mm-hmm. And when, he, when he looked at the SMB market, he said, that's where we get the greatest leverage of what our yep. company does. And that's, you know, where the money is. So <laughs> I always think about Jesse James when they said, you know, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. So yep. that's where I'm going. And, and, you know, Kevin, Kevin went there. But- Kevin, did they have that data? I'm sure. Did they have the data or did you bring the data? Did you bring, okay, talk to us a little bit about that. They had the data. (laughs) So how'd you you do it? That's a major pivot. So look, it was, you know, so so sales skills, people think sales skills are just external. Yeah. They're internal as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, So the the connections, you know, look, the CFO has to be on your side. Um, when you start talking about digital go-to-markets, that means the CIO has to be on your side. You got to have a working relationship with the, the head of sales because there could be this whole notion of channel conflict, you know, could, could, could be, be an issue. But let, let, me, let me tell you just kind of a portion of it. And this really kind of hits change management. Um, and it, it really, I think, kind of tells a, a story that we're pretty proud of. So we saw... Um, we had a relationship with two digital companies in which we took our APIs and integrated them into the platforms that these small and business owners were starting to use to do e-commerce so that when they were on these platforms or marketplaces, it'd be easy because the shipping was just integrated into the experience, right? So it was really kind of a concept, um, and it wasn't a lot of money um, at first. And it really it started pre-Kevin, probably around 2017. Um, and I, you know, we signed our second partner in 2018. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, hmm, this, this, you know, we might be able to do something here if we invested and accelerated. So uh, we had six people, all the six people on this project. Um, and at the end of 2019, um, we were doing $130 million, um, at, at really handsome margins. Um, but for $80 billion company, that's not a a big needle mover. So I said, okay. And I, I, I basically restructured the marketing organization to free up resources and money and took it from projects that weren't yielding results. They were good on PowerPoint, but they didn't translate to Excel, if you follow my, you follow my <laughs> yeah. thinking. Here, right? sure. And I allocated them, and not just the number, but the, the best talent you know, to this digital access program, and took it from six people to 45, and then personally reallocated my time as far as recruiting some of these partners, and meeting with these CEOs. And it's, it's amazing what happened. So, so think about this. In a matter of two years, okay, in this 110-year, at that time, maybe 112, 113-year-old company, we took an organic, this is not an acquisition, and it's not a left-pocket, right-pocket uh, dynamic where we're taking revenue from one channel to the other. This is yeah. all conversion. Uh, from one of our biggest competitors, who was the only option 
um, on this platform, we took that business from 131 million to 1.34 billion. Wow. We 10 xed it in two years. Mm. 10 xed it. Now, I got to tell you, and we went from uh, two partners to 18. And now we have almost two and a half million customers on the platform doing business this way. And we've, you know, we've got no choice but to deliver $2 billion in 2022 because our CEO announced it on the earnings call. She put it in the universe. She put it in the universe. This will be probably a $4 billion business organically uh, by the end of 2024. And now we've kind of gone global. And now I've restructured more. And so now we're going to have almost 100 employees who are scaling it. And the margins are among the best margins we have inside the company. So it's not like we went and got the revenue and said, okay, then we'll make money on it later. Um, and, and, and as I was on the early days, you know, there was a lot of uh, skepticism. And, and, you know, feedback got, got to me, got back to me. So well, this is Kevin's hobby, hobby. Well, when you start talking about $2 billion um, at very handsome margins, uh, mm-hmm. it's no longer a hobby. And then, you know, what I found is, and this is, this is a lesson I kind of tell my team, while this company might be skeptical on change in the beginning, if you get some quick wins and you show some momentum, They'll tear a hamstring to jump on the bandwagon. (laughs) And And that's exactly what's happening now. Yeah. Well, Kevin, it seems to me like what you did there is almost a prerequisite for what's happening in the industry or has been happening where customers now seem like from any size e-commerce company, they want to select, pay, and know their delivery timeframes all on like this integrated platform. So, what you did there kind of was a prerequisite anywhere for where, anyway, for where customers are today. So, and to do that, as you outlined, you had to go set up a whole bunch of different form partnerships, maintain partnerships and feed those partnerships. You talk a little bit about the challenge of, you know, going out and, you know, creating new partnerships because there had to be a lot of doubters there. They're like, Oh, you guys are not really playing down here in SMB. Yeah, who believed that you were actually going to be able to change. Right. So that had to be a challenge also. So not only internally, you had to change it externally with partners. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, again, you you go back to the exam question you gave me in the very beginning of this. (laughs) That's a great way to say it, brother. I've been been experiencing it for 20 years. The exam question. The exam question. How does sales prepare you to be a marketer? Yeah. (laughs) And so literally we had a pipeline of these partners. You know, so we're doing business with, uh, with Shopify, eBay, Facebook. You know, these are companies like, okay, UPS, um, and so we had, uh, you know, we had, uh, now the good thing is they knew that we could deliver, but would we be serious enough to kind of be partners? Would we be uh, too rigid uh, relative to our terms and conditions on the, um, uh, in the partnership agreement? I had to meet with our general counsel, another partner, you know, as far as internal selling mm-hmm. uh, and make that pitch that, hey, this is a different model. We can't, you know, we can't have, you know, 10 pages of T's and C's. Let's look at the, the three <laughs> That the matter most and, and make that a, 
a process. Um, and then, you know, executive engagement, you know, they want to, you know, they, they needed to kind of see me uh, to really understand mm-hmm. that there was commitment behind it. Right. Um, and then, um, and then just making sure, you know, as we, you know, to kind of get the early successes, understand the friction points, kind of remove that out the way. Um, and then you get the flywheel going. And once you got the flywheel going, you, you're on to something. Then it's about, okay, how can we go faster and faster and continue to raise the ambitions? Um, and, and the fact that, you know, so that we had plans along the way that were really, we thought, aggressive plans that we blew by. We said that that first year of 2019, we did 130. So we'll double it in 2020, 260. Well, then in the first quarter, we said, now we're going to, you know, we took it up to three something, whatever. We, we ended up doing 609. Wow. You know, versus 131. And then we took that. We say, okay, we'll do 970 in 2021. Uh, then we took it up to 1.2 billion and we did 1.34. So, you know, making sure that the expectations now, there's an art and a science to it because it has to be a stretch and achievable. But then once you can see you can get there, then you continue to raise the bar and you kind of celebrate. So that was all part of the journey. I wish you could have shared those forecasting hire stories with Kaplan when he was working for me because he was always sandbagging. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kevin, you haven't lost, the, you haven't lost the, the selling in you at all. I have to ask this question. There's two big things as we're, as we're coming into the stretch here. I got to ask, you're feeling good. Life is good. March 2020. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. COVID. You know, you got these great plans, got this great focus, SMB. Can you just kind of walk us through what that looked like for you and what you had to do? I mean, it's got to be an incredible story for you guys. Yeah, we we could write a book on that one, Kevin. Yeah. Um, it was it was a perfect storm. Um, and and like for you know, most companies, but you think about our industry, right? So um, you know, this COVID thing hits and um, part of my responsibility, you kind of you read that earlier, is revenue forecasting for the company. So we were doing scenario planning as, as to what this was going to mean. And, 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 and normally when we have shocks, you know, major recessions, the great recessions, et cetera, you can kind of peg the package volume to GDP. Yeah. So when GDP goes down and we knew that was, it was going to go down, you know, we're going to have a 20% reduction, 30% reduction, 40% reduction in volume, what sort of cost actions we have to take, et cetera. This was all the scenario plan. And oh, by the way, if you think back back then, um, people thought that you could get COVID from the cardboard boxes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you couldn't get you couldn't get PPEs, you know. Um, so we had to make our own hand sanitizer, literally had to make our own hand sanitizer. Mm. Um, and so we're trying to figure out, okay, um, our essential status, we had essential status from the government. Um, and so our drivers, and by the way, the, the, the projections of the volume going down, well, this whole DAP program that we had rocked and rolled, yeah. instead of the volume going down, it went through the roof because everybody pivoted from brick and mortar to e-commerce. Yes. So it accelerated you know, what we were working on. And then the package volumes went almost like holiday level package volumes for our drivers um, in a pandemic. Wow. Um, so, so we, 
we're trying to kind of navigate through that. Um, and then how do we get the pricing right? Uh, and making sure that the companies who are surging the most that we price appropriately um, to get the, the, the fair value back, while we also don't put that burden on the SMBs because we want to kind of keep them going. You know, so getting that, you know, getting that calculus right, I'm, I'm proud to say we nailed that. Um, and then, all right, so if, if the pandemic wasn't enough, you know, by the way, we were going through a, a CEO, the CEO succession. And so Carol Tomei was coming on board to be the first woman CEO, not only in our company's history, but our industry's history. All right. And that was happening June 1st. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the May, you got this thing called, you know, George Floyd, you know, killing and social mm -hmm. unrest right around the time of the transition during the pandemic. So, you know, we it really kind of forced us to take an inventory and say, OK, we know what we do, but what's our why? And so, you know, the marketing function led the effort and worked well with our communications function to come up with our purpose statement, which is you know, moving our world forward by delivering what matters. Um, and you know, we wanted something uh, that was short where people could remember it. Uh, when you hear it, you say, okay, that's UPS, but also has a little bit of ambition in there. And we, we left the delivering what matters kind of open because that can mean delivering your holiday packages on time, it can deliver, it can mean delivering over a billion uh, vaccines at 99.9% uh, accuracy. It can mean delivering in your community. Uh, it, could, it, could, it can mean, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, ESG, and making the world a better place. It can mean all those things. And we just kind of embrace that. Um, and so we're really proud to say that with all of these, this perfect storms, the best performance in the history of the company, we put we put together in back to back years. It was a mm. it's a pretty cool story when we kind of look back at it. Uh, but it was terrifying um, as we were going through it. But now, Kevin, it's almost like your business went from this explosion, and now you got the supply chain shortage for everything. So that <laughs> has when you talk about a guy that ha is in charge of forecasting, and thank God you're a lot better at it than Kaplan was, you know. <laughs> You, That's aggressive, you dude. That's unprovoked attack. That's the second one. <laughs> you have a whole different issue on forecasting. And I mean, that has to throw you a little bit of a curveball too, right? Well, yeah, the, the supply chain piece, absolutely. Although when we get a package, we deliver it. So we, we cover our part of the supply chain. Hmm. Um, but I would tell you that the bigger issues on forecasting, John, uh, is this Omicron spikes up and down. Hmm. Um and what that means as far as uh, brick and mortar versus e-commerce and the stops and starts. And then you throw what's going on with the gas prices and inflation oh, yeah. in the Ukraine. And so we, you know, we're definitely seeing volume in the industry softening because of this, because the consumer just doesn't have, you know, they don't have that the buying power uh, to consume at the same levels they were. And so then the implications are, Okay, from a pricing standpoint, what sort of adjustments do you make? Um, how do you handle the inflationary costs? How much of that do you pass on to the customers? Which customers? How do you do it, et cetera? But still make sure you kind of maintain your competitive edge. So there is no shortage. I mean, it's business, right? It's yeah. always going to be something going on. Right. You just have to be agile enough 
to, to figure it out and hopefully figure it out better than your, your chief competitors. Hey, Kevin, you know, when I think about UPS and I think a lot of, you know, people that don't know UPS super well, even though I packed trucks five o'clock to 10 o'clock at night when I was in caucus. You're talking Jersey. to a former UPS employee, Kevin. I, was, I knew I was, it. I knew it. College, man. That's the only way I push, put my way through college. But when I think about it, I think about the brown trucks, the brown uniforms, on-time deliveries, and everything else that goes into building a world-class brand. So, so much of what you do as a CMO, expanding your business, getting partnerships, you know, reaching out to new businesses like your business, where to go and those types of things. How do you protect that brand and then like feed that brand and grow that brand? Because you have a world class brand. Yeah. So, look, and by the way, is that I, just I can't too big tell of an open ended question. No, it's a great, great question. Oh, great, right. great question. So, so first of all, John, I got to tell you, there's a number of very successful executives I run into who share that similar experience. They worked in college in the hub or driving a package car. And it's, it's something about the grit and the hard work of willingness to do that that then translates, you know, into other successful, you know, careers. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. It's, it's, it's crazy how often I hear that. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I sure. think as it relates to the brand, hey, this, this was the, it was good news, bad news, right? The great news is, one of the top brands in the world, um, one of the most trusted brands. We scored really high on trust, reliability, integrity. It's a halo effect we get from our drivers. People trust our drivers. They love our drivers. Drivers know, you know, the names of the kids, the pets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that, you know, technology companies would love and die to kind of get that sort of trust uh, index there on that. Uh, we call that consideration. Uh, but when we start moving to momentum, um, if you're in an industry that's dynamic, uh, that's moving more to digital, and you've got new players and, and wannabe disruptors, um, you know, it's good. You got to have that, that trust. But you also have to, you know, the exam question on momentum is, is this a company that's on its way up or whose best days are behind it? Is this a company that's agile, innovative, um, cool, digital? Uh, is this a company uh, that embraces diversity, equity, inclusion, that, that thinks the environment is important? And in those areas, we didn't score well. As a matter of fact, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll share this. We, we kind of did some persona work when we were talking to the SMBs, say, what would it take for you to do more business with us? And we asked the question, if, if, if we were or our competitors were standing at a bar having a drink, what would we wear and what would we be drinking? And one small and medium-sized business customer came back and said, probably a guy, okay, that tells you one thing, <laughs> with a flannel shirt, drinking a scotch, probably with a comb over. <laughs> now, now, think about a new CMO going into the C-suite, yeah. giving that feedback on the voice of the customer, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah. well, look, 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 it's nothing wrong with that, but we're a lot more than that. So a lot of the brand work we had to do was make sure we, we maintain the trust, but we had to kind of we had to kind of tighten up the momentum in the ESG. And that's where our proudly unstoppable, be unstoppable campaign and some of the collabs we've done um, with artists, 
Um, and, you know, what we've done uh, on TikTok and promoting uh, Latinx businesses, nine, nine billion hashtag views and our merch drop at, at New York Fashion Week of street gear and, um, you know, uh, the celebrity webinars that we've done with Serena Williams and Tan France and Eva Longoria um, and, and, and others, uh, you know, look out for 2022. We've got a, uh, a really cool lineup. All these things, and then the images of updating UPS.com, and when you see uh, diversity from an age standpoint, from an ethnicity standpoint, from a gender standpoint, from a global uh, view standpoint, mm. all those things we're really intentional on. And it's really, as we kind of look at the results, um, we've increased our brand relevance dramatically in the last four quarters. Um, so, you know, that's been top of mind and it's connected in to also how small and medium sized businesses kind of see us and say, who's going to be their partner of choice. Um, can we relate, you know, to this, to this company? And we've gotten really good feedback on that. Hey, Kevin, <clears throat> the last business question I want to ask you on this, um, is this diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I heard you speak to Georgetown University. I want you to talk to our listeners because this is not an easy topic. And you called it managing the new squeeze. Can you help me with that? Like corporate profits or company profits and employee uh, focus and, and diversity. And like, can you kind of give us your thoughts? Because almost everybody I know is struggling with this. Yeah. So, yeah, John, you, you, you teed it up, man. Um, so, look, you know, traditionally you start thinking about the role of a corporation, right? Um, obviously, we have responsibilities to deliver for our shareholders, right? I mean, that's, I mean, if you don't do that, anybody's in, in senior roles, you know, your replacement will get the opportunity to do that. We'll put it that way. Um, so, obviously, a lot of focus on the shareholder. Um, but, you know, and they're, they're coming down to say, okay, you know, what sort of uh, total shareholder returns are you going to drive? You know, we're, we're looking for the alpha and, and, and. But now what's starting to emerge, and I think really the social unrest really kind of ignited it more so. It was, it was kind of there in amber, but it really ignited it, was these stakeholders to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, what are you doing relative to diversity? How many diverse board members do you have? What's your C-suite look like from a diversity standpoint? Oh, by the way, what are you doing in your community? Are you making your communities a better place? By the way, the environment, you know, some people, you know, think that's an existential threat. What are you doing as far as your, your carbon footprint? And so you've got these shareholders coming down and you got these stakeholders, by the way, the employees are, are a big part of these stakeholders yeah. uh, of, of these things as well, but particularly your younger employees, because these things really matter. So you got the, you got the, uh, the shareholder coming down, the stakeholders coming up and we're kind of in the middle and we call that the new squeeze. Um, and so that could, you know, that could provide, you know, potentially provide a challenge. And I argue there's actually an opportunity if you do it right. So part of our model with the SMBs is we've picked, you know, different segments of small and medium-sized customers, different diverse segments. Um, and we've done, we've hired an artist that kind of shows uh, 
a view uh, reflected of UPS in them where they kind of, you kind of see the artwork, you can see the artwork on our packages, on the envelopes. We'll pick a nonprofit, whether it's, you know, uh, an African-American nonprofit or Latinx nonprofit or one that promotes our women-owned businesses, and we'll, get, we'll give them a grant. Um, and then we'll also uh, do some coaching uh, to these different diverse SMBs there as well. So the return on loyalty and brand and, 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 and really brand relevance and our hit rate has gone up as a result of, you know, this sort of kind of play. And when you do it right, it's a one plus one equals three um, in which you can take care of the, uh, you can take care of the stakeholders and the shareholders. Oh, by the way, it's also a good employee play when you start asking them what's their likelihood to recommend, um, you know, maybe a neighbor uh, or a family member to come work because we are a purpose-driven company. So it's not like a trade-off you got to make. I mean, hey, from a diversity standpoint, you know, the more open you are to talent, you're going to find better talent. You're, 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 you're fishing in, in, in wider, you know, wider pools. So anyway, you know, that's just our, our view. And it's, you know, we, we think it's working out pretty well for us. Awesome. Johnny, um, I could talk to Kevin. I know Kevin's I know, I got, I have five more questions. <laughs> so do I. I to Kevin, but, you know, dude, you gotta dude, but we're going to get some great for what he's done. We're going to get some great feedback on this podcast. And, and uh, I think you did such a great job representing not only yourself and, uh, and UPS. So they'd be more than happy to allow you to come back and talk to us, but I want to be sensitive to the time that you allocated for us. Would you mind if you guys, would you mind if I just did a quick summary and then, uh, and then Johnny will take it home, take sure. it home on a wrap up. Here's what I heard you say, Kev. Um, I, I love the, I don't know if you said it was Jay-Z. I'm a business man. Uh, that was a huge takeaway for me in the sense that you're responsible for your own development. You're responsible for thinking about assessing your skills, as John brought up. Uh, I love that takeaway. Um, you have to take the advice. John McMahon often talk about this. We get reached out. I love people call me all the time, call Johnny all the time, reach out to us and say, hey, do you have, you know, 15 minutes and and it's amazing how many people we talk to that don't actually take the advice we give them. And so it's very, it's very disconcerting. Uh, so what I heard you saying is you got to take the advice. Um, uh, sooner or later, you got to take the advice. Well, most of those people, they let their ego get in the way. Yeah. You know? mm. Yeah. I heard you talk about getting out of your comfort zone because that's where the real growth is. I heard you talking about the importance of meeting the customer wherever they're at. And just the story behind the SMB and the pivot, um, it, you know, and selling to that SMB space and representing that SMB space and making such a huge uh, impact for, for all of us. I'm an SMB. For all of us, uh, it's just incredible. I, I heard you, uh, one of the things I heard was, you know, you got to make sure PowerPoint translates to Excel. I love that. I'm going to steal some of these too, buddy, if you don't mind. Um, the, the importance of when times are tough, get grounded on what's your why. What's our why? And then get everybody focused on it and look at what 
happened at UPS. And then the last thing we talked about was managing the new squeeze. And uh, I loved how you talked about it. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. And, uh, and the great opportunities that have, that have come out of that. Um, so what we do at the end is a few questions. Johnny, you want to grab these questions? You want me yeah, to grab Kevin, them? We have a little bit yeah. of fun. We ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, like, what is your ideal day off of work? Um, time with my wife, maybe playing some tennis, watch a little football, just chilling out. Good. Favorite meal? Oh, uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C., so some good old Chesapeake uh, Bay crab cakes. Wow, yeah. Favorite movie? Got to go Godfather, I think, right? One and two. <laughs> Got to. Uh, like yeah. it. A lot of people picked that one. Uh-huh. Best concert you'd ever been to. So, look, you know, uh, sometimes there's a uh, serendipity. Sometimes the, the universe will work in a way – way smarter um, than, than what you can even imagine. So we, when I was at Xerox, we did a, uh, we did a partnership with an artist. Uh, we, we did, you know, concerts both in the U.S. and Europe in different venues. Hmm. Um, and, and the artist was Sting. And we did, uh, we did a concert at this place called Chastain Park. And this was maybe about 12 years ago in Atlanta. I can remember it was like a, July day was hotter and more humid. Um, and, and part of what we did was we invited some of the customers, the VIP customers on stage um, to do the sound check where they could sing with Sting beforehand. And my wife was included in that. Wow, and my wife wow. has a whole lot of talents. But singing ain't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> However, she was standing next to Sting and Sting picked up on that. He also picked up on the fact that my wife was attractive. He was leaning in a little bit kind of close. I've got a was. picture in my, in my office. I've got a picture in my office that the listeners can't see. But that's me telling Sting, hey, dude, that's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I got to go at least with most memorable. I am actually a Sting fan. So there you go. And so, by the way, the the final part is that now I live maybe a mile from Chastain Park and and pass by it every day when I go into work. Who would have known? This isn't a rapid fire question that's on the list, but, you know. Favorite story about Johnny Kaplan or anything you want to share with Johnny? Don't do it. Working with Johnny. Don't not, do it? All right, not, we'll move on then. Not, not, look, Cap is, Cap is fantastic. You know, I, I will tell you, he, uh, from an entrepreneurial sales excellence communication standpoint and, and coloring outside the box, uh, you know, he, he did this value proposition of why Xerox was strategic. Um, that he came up with himself when we were in Leesburg Training Center. And it went something like, like this. You know, he talked about businesses, really, the importance of business, um, the importance of decisions and, um, from executives. Uh, and businesses make the right sort of decisions. Uh, they, they, they succeed and excel, and ones that don't, don't. And, and so how does information 
um, really kind of help you make decisions. Well, the information is printed on documents. And who's the best company uh, that makes documents most efficiently? Clearly is Xerox. So Xerox is kind of relevance to your business success. That was all he put it together organically. Cap, I think I'm halfway right if I remember it correctly. And you I was swinging you communicated for the way funny. better than I just did. It was, it was fantastic, right? Yeah, brother. Thank you. Thank you for remembering. Well, Kevin, the last one we talk about is like, what's your favorite charity? But I do know that you're in, you have involvement with what you call the Blue Horizon Minority Incentive Program, which helps drive my, minority uh, franchise ownership. I don't know if you want to talk about that and your favorite charity. Yeah, so that's really an incentive uh, to help diverse businesses become franchise owners and, um, and, and one of the best franchises there is, and that's the UPS store. So we gave a discount there on that. Um, but I would say as far as charitable giving, it, it would be, so look, my, uh, my mother, uh, Lucy Warren, had a, uh, she, and her, she was a teacher and she and her best friend, uh, they, they taught in public schools, uh, Norma Johnson, um, ninth grade, you know, back in the, uh, call it maybe late 50s, 19, circa 1960. Um, and uh, Norma said, Lucy, why don't we go, let's go to law school. Let's go to law school in the evening while we teach. Um, and my mom had, I wasn't even born then. You know, I had three older sisters and she just couldn't, wanted to, just couldn't pull it off. Uh, where a friend uh, Norma Johnson did, and she went to Georgetown Law and um, ended up becoming a judge, and she was the first African-American woman to graduate from Georgetown's mm. law school. Um, so when it came time for me to go to college, I'm, I'm thinking about UVA, I'm thinking about these other places. And my mom was like, well, you know, you can go anywhere you want, but the check is going to Georgetown. <laughs> and, um, and so um, I, I got to tell you, one of the most prideful uh, moments of my life is, you know, we have an endowed Lucy Warren, um, nice scholarship uh, at Georgetown University for um, um, for students who wouldn't be able to afford it on their own. And you know, I get a chance to serve on the board. And that's kind of a personal kind of commitment and um, and really kind of driving her immortality because uh, she couldn't go. I had to kind of do that for her. So mm. That's, you know, that would be the, the, our charity of uh, primary choice. Can, can, uh, can listeners donate to that? Is it just come out of an, oh, perfect. So we'll get that. We'll get that in the show notes from the producers. We'll link that to the podcast and, um, and uh, we'll, we would love to, uh, we would love to contribute to that. Kevin brother, it has been an absolute honor uh, I'd love to say I'm proud of you. I don't want to make it sound like that, but I'm proud for you. Um, you just, you were different back then. You're different and uncommon now. And it's just been a, an absolute uh, joy. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Kevin, well, thank we're you for- really, really grateful, man. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Well, really thank you for the invitation. And this was fun, man. This was, yeah, buddy. Work. This was just fun. Yeah, so, buddy. Uh, happy to do it. All the best, guys. Take care. Awesome, brother. And thank you for listening to Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 